Welcome everyone to Dungeon Master Discussion with me, Zach the DM. Today I'm joined by a fabulous guest, Dave Paints. Welcome, Dave. Today we're actually oh, thank you for coming. Uh, today we're actually here to discuss your newly released uh, Magnum's Tome of Unshackled Spells spellbook, over a hundred spells, uh, created and written by you. And then, did you have assistance with this as well? <laughs> oh yeah especially with like imagine trying to play test it with yourself but um <laughs> uh, but we're here today to discuss how you made it how you went about creating spells what made you decide to create sit down and actually create over 100 spells um because dungeon master discussion we're getting into all heads of different dungeon masters and creators try and open up our imagination to the infinite possibilities so you uh congratulations i must say you just completed your uh is it your kickstarter that you just completed for the um the book is actually uh upgrade for everyone to to go to hardback um which is a massive milestone when you know self-publishing so yeah, yeah that's really exciting it's going really well it's going really well congratulations that'll be awesome especially getting this in like being able to sit it back here on the shelf that'll yeah well that's the dream that's the dream oh. if i make the, if i'm if i make the shelf if i make people's dm shelves around the world then i'll be happy Yes, well, everyone, make sure to go check that out. Uh, we have it all throughout our social media as well. Go check out Dave Paints, uh, and you'll be able to check out that because I'll, yeah, getting that on my shelf, I would, oh, uh, that would be great to be able to make your own. Like, I don't know. I just, I imagine it from your point of view, and it just that that sounds like it would be feeling great right now. Yeah. So, what what made you decide to make this spellbook? Um, so I guess, I mean, we, we, we started talking before about, so I'm, I'm a very, uh, words orientated person, you know, my day job, I work in comms, um, in my studies and my degree, I did publishing, um, and even then it, it was magazine publishing. So I've always been very close to the written word and I've always been very creative as well. So I'm, I'm not necessarily a designer, you know, I'm, I'm not very good at, drawing um but i like to think i can write and ever since falling in love with dnd as well i've just had so many ideas the escapism and the world building and the storytelling that comes with dnd over the years have just kind of fed my imagination and my creativity and i just had too many ideas in my head that i could realistically ever get into my own games so i decided why not stick them all in a book and share them with the world so even if they only inspire you know one other person to go off and create that awesome character and this is the missing piece of that that villain or or that npc or or that playable character then uh then yeah it's worth it and uh you actually touched on it right at the end there that was a huge value i seen to this book is um a lot of your players by now they know all the fifth edition spells 
If you you can't surprise them with an empowered fireball. You show them that little red gem, they're gonna know what that is. But exactly. if you bring in these spells, you can really get them thinking and and like worried about things. And also, it kind of shows them that maybe there's more for them to know in this world. Maybe you as a DM have more for them to experience than just the the what you have in your current library. Yes, exactly. I was definitely playing a balancing act between trying to make things new, trying to make things exciting, but I also wanted to keep that relatability and that stability that comes with the core content because, you know, that's our, that's our safe zone. That's what we know. That's what we trust. You know, that's, that's what we know how to react to. But um, yeah, it's, it's always fun to, to push it a little bit. So that's why, I mean, a lot of the spells that, that are in the book as well, that they play on the ideas behind some of the existing spells. Uh, I've got like a, a whole suite of spells that, that rather than Wall of Fire or Wall of Thorns, it's a wall of something else. Or, you know, rather than Bones of the Earth, it's Bones of something else without revealing too much. It's, so it's, it's within the comfort zone, but it's completely hmm. new and unique. I did realize that. You also had uh, a few power words, but like... Yeah. They, they they these all made sense like they were all you would have some more power words because speaking these heavy brutish words is kind of a a part of fantasy that we've all accepted especially like if you think uh skyrim um and then walls walls of all kind we've we've always imagined i i remember reading the molten metal one and that one that was an interesting one i was thinking about how i could use or use be used against uh, I was thinking about that. Yeah, see in my head, yeah. So that's uh, yeah. You're you're talking about wall of uh, wall of metal. Yeah. Uh, and I, I I made that one interesting because I thought you know this could just be spikes. That's cool. But then I I wanted to go one further and I made it. It was actually molten metal. That yeah, I read that. That, that tripped me up. I was like, okay, okay. I thought we. I was just imagining like metal wall, and when I read the title, and then molten. I was like, okay. Yeah. So it's it's and it's really visual as well. I love getting that kind of visual imaginative element over. So yeah, wall of uh, wall of metal, for example. That's that's a molten metal wall, standard in a ring, in a line, but what makes it interesting is that it cools over time and it solidifies over time. So if you're the party up against that, you've got to run the risk, you know, do you climb it in molten form and get burned or do you wait, stay stuck or cut off, but potentially climb it when it's you know, more safe. Exactly. It's like, and that's actually really, I didn't, I, I like that like kind of slow. Cause that, that in itself can create its own encounter, actually, its own encounter type of. I'm not, you know what? That's inspired. I'm gonna use that. I'm gonna use that. Um, <laughs> before we get into like all like the actual like how you created them, uh, one thing I really liked about the book is um, Magnum. He or that's that's his name. It's, it's Magnum's tome. Yes, Magnum. Yes. He he leaves all these little notes in the books. Um, I. I wish I remembered the spell now, but it was a spell which a force came out of your hand, and Magnus Magnum made sure to write, uh, "Be wary to not cast with gloves." And there was just all these <laughs> other little 
funny lines throughout that kind of made Oh, I'm so glad you picked up on those. I love them. I love them. I really did. It made it kind of... Because the first few pages are telling you about how people have wanted Magnum's tome forever, but they've never been able to. But by fate, it's found its way into your hands. So to see Magnum kind of leaving a little imprint in the book was uh, was very nice. I like that. Yeah, I very much wanted to give it a kind of Half Blood Prince vibe, you know, in that this is a this is a tome which wasn't just a tome; it was a diary, and it was all about nostalgia and his travels. So, the story of Magnum is 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 essentially my way of compiling all these different spells from all these different regions and all these different magical experts from from across D and D. And so I I did it in the form of a traveling vagabond that that you know put all, put all of his ideas down on paper and uh then met an unfortunate demise as you can see from the uh the trailer video on the kickstarter but um yeah his 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 notes are a really fun way of keeping him alive on the page and not just having him as as like a like an advert i, I wanted him to actually be part of it as well um and i think the one that you're you're referencing with the gloves is pyroclastic surge Yeah, that's a that's a really good note from Magnum there. Don't cast with gloves. <laughs> yeah, there's more going forward as well. There's a lot more, but I won't spoil them. No, Some afraid. of them are really cheesy. Some of them are really cheesy, but but <laughs> most most of them most of them fall within within the lines of of good copywriting. Now, I've made a number of characters for shows or events, and, and sometimes I find it's it's one of two ways. You either have an idea and you need a character, or you have a character and it happens to fit the idea. Which way did, did Magnum come about? Magnum came about because I had the idea and I needed the character. Um, yeah, for, for sure. I, I think... Like I said, I had all these ideas. I knew that I really wanted to do something with them. I wanted to put them on paper, but I needed substance. I, I felt it was, it, it needed a personality. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's what sometimes you lack from things like this, where you you have so many different options. Um, my, my previous Kickstarter, uh, Cards Against the DM, that was all about story building and narratives and plot twists and building memorable moments and that's what I wanted this to be I felt like it wasn't memorable enough without a central character so yeah hey if 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 Magnum turns up as the big bad evil guy in in a few DM sessions then who knows all right you know what I I um yeah, I might have to do this one day. We might have to set up a a, a magnum, um, <laughs> a level twenty uh, wizard. Yeah, we'll have to set up something for Magnum. He would. He almost sounds like kind of like the. I don't. I don't give me. Do you have a like kind of like base description of his personality? Um. In my head, I always saw him as the love child of Voldemort, David Bowie, and Gandalf, all mixed <laughs> in together. I think that's that's the perfect like anti-hero, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I'm seeing it. I'm seeing it. Now. 
Oh God. Less, uh, <laughs> you know, less face paint, but but the attitude <laughs> is definitely there. Okay, excellent. So anti-hero. Okay, I like this. So he he could be leaving any of these ideas for the the good or the bad. It just depends on what side he's he's having fun with at the moment. Exactly, and I, I you know I even said that in the uh, in the in the video. Like you know, Magnum says himself. He says, "For good or evil, I care not. Just set it free," because he doesn't care what you know side of the coin you you play for. He just wants his power to be remembered. So yeah, he's he's all about he's he's all about his legacy as opposed to his honor. And that's both a good thing and a bad thing. Yes, I'll have to make a Magnum the stat block. I don't have a pencil. <laughs> I'll have to remember this. So, when you were making these spells, I'm. What was the process like? What What was the the very beginning? How did you start, and how did you end? Because I'm sure through the learning curve, it it changed. One hundred percent. So, it began with an absolute flood of ideas and inspiration, things that I'd bottled up for, you know. <laughs> over a year of oh, I want a spell that can do this oh what about a spell that can do that and I had over 50 first drafts uh in you know a matter of days uh, if not a couple of weeks um then I slowed down that's when I realized you know what we, we can push for 100 like 100 is cool 100 is my milestone that's what I want to launch with uh, so then I started to slow down go back through you know everything I was familiar with, everything that my my D and D friends were familiar with, and find the gaps in what was possible according to the core content. Yeah, and not just try and fill it for the sake of filling it, but working on something that felt like it belonged there the whole time, as opposed to just got got backfilled. That got me to around you know, the, the, the high 80s mark, and uh, then I had a couple of left. And, and that's when I started taking inspiration from everything else around me that I love and hold in high regard in terms of fantasy storytelling and, and fantasy world building. So there is definitely, you know, a smidgen of Lord of the Rings, there's a smidgen of Harry Potter, little bit of Dragon Age. Uh, so there's, there's, there's inspiration from, from all over the place. Um, but I've all I've I've been conscious to try and make every single one different, not only to each other, but also to to anything that's in the core content. Because that's the fun. It's doing the new stuff. Yeah. That that is one thing that I um I kind of expected. So I as a dungeon master, I have mechanics, I have the general mechanics of everything memorized. So if you give me something, I can look at it and tell you if it looks broken or if it looks correct. That's that's one of my skills. So when I was going through the spells, I was very much waiting for my DM brain to go, that doesn't make sense, or uh, that doesn't quite fit with like how the rules go, because my brain just picks those weird things out. But as I scrolled through, I was like, nope, this all sounds legit. It, 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 it sounds very like flavor difference. You did uh, a wonderful job in including a lot of higher level spells. I find... If you look at the spells, you have a lot of first level, and then as you get higher, it gets thinner. When, in reality, if we have this powerful magic community, 
it should start small and only get more diverse. Exactly, but it's difficult, I think, from a creative perspective to find a ninth level spell that is truly unique, you know, short of just doing a massive AoE of massive damage of a certain type. Where else do you go with it? Yeah. So the ninth level spells were interesting. Um, that's why I made them one of my stretch goals as well, because they're, they're particularly difficult to make original. Um, but I'm glad it got the, the Zach stamp of approval. Uh, that means a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I didn't find you particularly went hard on damage. I, I don't think even you... I can't think of any spell that you went over... 10 d 10 dice i think 10 dice was your maybe most maybe there was a 12 in there but i think there's one that there's 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 one there's you one spell and multiple. i don't I, I don't want to spoil it but that there's one spell which i think um is it's definitely the highest damage in the book and naturally it's a ninth level spell yes. but it's reserved for one class and only one class can use it and that's monk Oh. I feel like monk. Do you know the one I mean? Yes, yes. So it's uh, it's called one thousand cuts. That was an interesting. One. Would you? W there, there were a few spells I did want to talk about. Would that be one that I could talk about, or do you want to keep that one as here? A thousand cuts is a good one. No, no, by all means. Okay, so a thousand cuts, you get to make. So in for one attack, you get to actually uh, make ten attacks. And for every yes. attack that hits, you roll 1d100, yes. which I thought was an extremely interesting thing, because now your range of damage is from 10 to 1,000, <laughs> the, yes. the widest gap of damage possible. But you're definitely going to end up near the higher end of the spectrum. It's possible. completely down to chance. It's completely down to chance, which is why it's a massive, it's a massive risk. But it's also an incredible narrative moment for the players and for the DM for for the monk just to go super cyan and one shot a dragon. Right. And at the a ninth level spell, that just that, that makes sense. Like that level of power. Because when you're saying it to like once you get to ninth level hard to make ninth level spells even damage oriented because at that level they're almost they're almost moments because as soon as you have to compare your ninth level spell to wish it's like ah damn it oh so it has to be like a moment uh, uh something that you're like you're gonna remember like oh one time i cast thousand cuts. exactly it's exactly and but but again like you said i, I wanted it to be balanced i didn't want it to just be oh i'm ninth level so here's a thousand damage it's not it's a massive risk you have to be in melee range you have to just walk up to this thing that can squish you and trust the dice which is a horrible thing to have to do yeah <laughs> uh yes uh, my, my dice have been being especially me in the last like two weeks so i, I feel that actually in my heart <laughs> I still, I still haven't found my 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 one true set of dice. I still haven't found the set that never betray me. Uh, there's no such thing. There's no such thing. I had, <laughs> I had a dice that was doing well for like months, months, and then the last three weeks, like last eight games of D and I my players have been steamrolling every encounter because I can't roll. 
I actually balanced my last encounter to make up for that. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> um, speaking of balancing, uh, how did you find like balancing these spells? Did you did you just kind of give it uh once over? Did you do any like play testing? Like how was your trial period for these? Yeah, so the first thing was, I mean, I'm definitely the creator end of the spectrum in terms of this has to be awesome this has to have glitter and, and sparkles and be super cool and everyone needs to love it and then through working with uh, luke luke dodds my my co-writer creative writer who helped me on all of the spells he would rein me in and you know bring bring me back down to to a, a bit of a, a reality and then it was a it was a compromise between the two of us to to get them all right mm -hmm. then we would pitch them to our dnd friends and our dms who you know play regularly each week and and like you said you, you just have that natural understanding of this is broken this doesn't fix what do you mean by that that can be misinterpreted and that was really useful to make sure that the spells were open to interpretation enough that people can do their own thing but they had a base understanding and people knew what was on the page. Um, so it was a combination of the two. I think it was a, a, a creative process <laughs> of back and forwards to make sure that they were all still interesting and, and still fun. Um, but also, like I said, they either had to, if they were slightly overtuned, something had to compensate. And that was either going to be the level itself of the spell so you had to, you had to commit and you had to be of a certain level or there would be a risk factor or or there like some form of of gamble like like in 1000 cuts you know it's it's high risk high reward but also massive potential fail so that's a big part of so sometimes the way to balance things is to just completely upend them and and have yes. have it all, all or nothing. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, I'll give you, I'll give you the good thing, but you just have to might take the terrible thing. Yeah. Oh, uh, your one spell that actually really doubles down on that idea, and I thought it was very interesting because it would, it would definitely be a pure confidence play, but it's the spell uh, Call a Void. So, yeah, that was. I didn't want to put words in your mouth, but that was the one I was thinking of too. That was, yeah, so you cast a spell upon an enemy, and at the end of each turn, you both have to make a wisdom saving throw. And the first one to three fails is the one that takes this massive uh, 10d10 uh, psychic damage. And it's really just a, a ballsy play to look at somebody else and go, Yeah. <laughs> I'm wiser than yeah. you. Don't worry about it. I got it. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a big power move for sure. Um, but it's also helpful because it locks it locks down potentially a massive character. So yes, you know you're taking your. It's, it's like a it's like a massive staring contest essentially. Call of the Void is a staring contest between two two necromancers. <laughs> it's. It's 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 taking yourself out of the situation and not being able to do anything else because you have to concentrate, otherwise you're gonna get your face pummeled. Yeah. But then it's also 
that means that the enemy has to do the same. They have to commit this character to not do anything. Otherwise, we win. So uh... yeah, Call of the Void was a really fun one. It was like a it's like a mental tug of war. Yeah, I, um, my my hockey brain is going. It's like when you uh, you're bad, you're bad at the game, so you get in a fight with the good player, and you both go to the penalty box. Yes, yeah. <laughs> I don't think that's just a hockey reference. I think that's just anything. If, yeah. if you're bad and they're good, even it out. Just fight them. <laughs> <laughs> Did you find that uh, any classes were harder uh, or easier to make for? Like, did you have any class that you were just like, what, what, what six level spell can that class even get? Yeah, I think I'd say the three that I struggled with the most at the beginning, it because it because only purely because of my own, you know, like play preferences, um, mm-hmm. you know, I would say were paladin, cleric, and hunter, mm-hmm. which you know makes sense because. Wizards, sorcerers, necromancers, druids, warlocks—all of they—they've all got magic, like yeah. in the center. This is their very magic. much a part of who they are and what they do. <laughs> you know, whereas a, a hunter, you've got two sides of that character, and and same with with a cleric and a paladin. So, it took me a while to really um, educate myself on what they needed to to develop in terms of where people's characters could go mm-hmm. what um you know if they took a, if they took a dark turn how what what evil cleric spells could i do or you know all, all that sort of stuff um yeah. and and with the hun- hunters as well it's how how can they dabble what if someone's multi-classing and and so i wanted to i wanted to try and blur the lines as it were um but i got some really good ones in the end um which i'm really proud of for for Paladins and, and clerics and hunters. Uh, I also really like the artwork in the book. Um, shout out to your artist uh, because every single spell has a different piece of artwork that kind of aligns with either the nature of it or the spell itself, which I thought was really cool. And that is always uh, a really hard part about creating this, but I find that actually makes the ebook. Um, just beautiful to look at overall. I think combined with the little comments from Magnums, uh, yeah, the visuals really help. Um, it, again, it's all part of making that memory and making that moment around a table. Uh, it's it, it, trying to give the DM more to, to 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 build off of. You know, it's those moments of hype when. The DM starts, you know, rolling his rolling their tongue and and really getting into it and describing what's happening and and you start putting colors and smells and and atmosphere towards an action. Um, and I just felt, yeah, having having pictures and and having art that helped display that uh, would would make those moments even better. All right. Now, I as a DM reading through these spells, <clears throat> there was a few that I read and i wanted to get you as the writer as as magnum's uh sp- spoke person to perhaps uh let me know if this is possible or if i am perhaps trying my best to bend these spells too much okay as, I, as my players tend to do so i have been forced to do um uh, splinter shot 
So you can uh, touch a group of ammunition, and when you fire it, it uh, either hit or miss, it will explode. <clears throat> now the hit or miss part made me interested, because I thought, could I uh, cast Splinter Shot on a bunch of ammunition, leave that ammunition there, and later have it explode, such as a trap? It does specifically say mm. to shoot it, but I had thought about it as like perhaps a trap, and I thought that maybe that was a bit broken. I think, I think you're stretching it a bit there, Zach. <laughs> yeah, I thought I was too. I thought I was too. I had to try. All right, now one I won't stretch at all. One I actually, as a dungeon master, must thank you for. Uh, this is a wonderful spell, which is going to cut. All of my downtime with my player is down. It will certainly be finding its way into my game. <clears throat> Summon Bookworm. A little I love this one. I love it. Do you want to explain it? Yes, sure. So Summon Bookworm is a way where if, like me, your players are really impatient at some of the downtime and just want to fight, then they can do this thing called summoning a bookworm. And essentially what it does is if you have a tome or a book um, or a series of scrolls and there's a riddle or a clue or an answer or you need to find, you know, maybe it's a, a book of family trees and you need to, exactly, and you need to find a, a name within it, you summon the bookworm on the book, you ask it a question, and it will not come back out until it finds the answer or confirms that it's not in there. Which I love because the amount of times that I have played, that I'll, I'll, I'll give a random book. Oh, this book just has, it's about arcane runes, general arcane runes. And they're like, okay, I'm going to spend eight hours reading it. And I'm like, ah. and they're like, what did I learn? And I'm like, ah, oh, what do you even care about? What do you <laughs> well, even, I'm... what do you want to know? My character's a wood elf. I don't sleep. So I am culprit number one on oh, that. All I oh. do at night is a little bit of meditation and then just read. And my DM gets so frustrated with it. I'm just like, ask me specific questions, what you want to know. And that's exactly what the bookworm does is it makes my players just ask me questions so that the improv book, I don't need to actually write the improv book that I improved. Right. <laughs> you just have, you just need that one little chapter, or or you just have to make something up on the fly to as a response to a specific question. Yeah, and it works great if you're like in a library and you're like sneaking somewhere and you're like uh, summon bookworm. I throw it at the bookshelf and I want it to uh, look up big bad evil guy's name, and then it just starts looking through. And you're just like talking to the librarian as she walks back in. And then you have like a little encounter where you gotta like catch it behind her head and not have her see. <laughs> like it's all good. It's all good here. There we go. See? When when other people can envisage the the, the uses and, and the, the the moments that these spells are used in as well as I can, that's when I know that I've uh, done it justice. One where I knew that grew up with Silver Spoon, because I clapped out loud, and I was like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take it. I'll, I'll, take, I'll take an out loud clap. 
Um, there was a spell that I found very interesting. This isn't really a question about it at all. It's about Tar Pit. Um, you actually uh, have a spell which causes a vulnerability to fire. So being inside this Tar Pit, which makes sense. You're in a flammable substance. The spell specifies that it can be on fire. Being inside this thick substance would make it easier and more likely to be caught on fire. Exactly. It's the same as, you know, I, I know some, some people homebrew it, some people cut it out, but it's the same as being wet makes you vulnerable to lightning damage or thunder damage. Um, you know, that's certainly something that I've played with in my games, and I loved that idea. I thought this makes it more real, this makes it more believable. You know, water conducts electricity, therefore it would have you know, a, a higher output. And I wanted something that was the same. I wanted something that I thought, you know, it's a flammable substance, therefore it would make you more vulnerable to fire. Um, but at the same time, it offers great utility of a massive AOE slow and sludge that people have to wade through. Just, I, I, I love that attention to detail. It's like, yes, it, it would make it so that you are vulnerable to fire. And I, I don't see spells that say that you become vulnerable to things. Uh, while you're in it or things like that and I, I think it's definitely something that I take into my spell looking in the future it almost like you know uh, I said at the very beginning of the show I cannot imagine anything until I see it or experience it I didn't even think about causing vulnerabilities with spells until I seen it on the page there and then I it like it almost like it, it kicked open the door and was like it's possible it's possible <laughs> so now I'm going to do it. Absolutely. Uh, another one that I thought was great, that was very interesting, and I think is going to definitely be one that people can throw into these campaigns. I think this, tell me if I'm wrong, but it would definitely be high up on Magnum's list of favorites. Um, Comet of Chaos. Oh, yeah, one of probably my favorite in the whole book, because I think, as as I've said, I'm a bit of a glutton for punishment, but I'm also yes. an absolute servant of chaos. I will take whatever the dice give me. And Comet of Chaos is the, yeah, it, it's the it's the culmination of just what and anything could happen. Anything could happen. I even like it that um, you you flip the script script on uh, what people think are good. So as a DM, you could easily throw your roll out there, and uh, you get a twenty, and it's like, oh, that's not good, guys. That's very, very, very. Um, yeah, you've but... got you've got you've got everything in there. So I mean, Comet of Chaos is is the the first half is really really standard. You know, it's you're pulling a comet from the sky essentially. So. Mm. Very small crater, but massive force damage. So if you want it to be a single target and absolutely smush them, then fine. You know, it's like you just pulled an asteroid out the sky and, and threw it at someone. <laughs> but the shockwave that comes after, which is the massive AoE from Comet of Chaos, is completely unpredictable. It affects everyone, not just enemies. And that can be everything from a long-term form of madness to a massive amount of elemental damage, to being randomly polymorphed for six hours. It's, uh, that's the whole point. It's all uh, completely, completely up in the air. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's like, 
gain HP. Everything, everyone disappears to a new plane was the one that really caught my eye. And I was like, oh, that's going to be fun. Comet adventure in the Comet planes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously the DM then needs to help you get back. But, I mean, why not, right? Why not pull a Comet out the sky and then accidentally get moved to, you know, the plane of fire for, for half a day? Did you have any spell that you found particularly tricky or like one that you put in, but you're like, I'm not sure about this one. This one, it's good, but it's weird. Any weird ones? Yeah, I think one of the ones that made it, made it through because I personally love the idea and I know so many other people will too. Um, and again, I wanted to push the boundaries of what's accepted and what's done. Um, there's a spell in there called Stampede, uh, which yes. is a ninth level druid spell. Um, and it's the only spell in the whole book that actually takes two actions to cast, which I know is quite yeah. a unique Very... a unique thing to do. Um, but it has two halves, so if it does get inter uh, interrupted, it's, it's not the end of the world. Um, but it is essentially depending on the environment that you're in, if you're underwater, if you're in a snow biome, if you're in the jungle, if you're in the desert, whatever, the wildlife around you starts to react to your summons. And the first half is they all start screeching and braying and cawing and mooing and just <laughs> making all, all, yeah. all the other weird yeah. animal noises of the kingdom, um, which has a chance to frighten your enemies. That's part one. Part two is that you then do a stampede, a massive line spell, essentially, you know, to put it in, in, in boring terms. Uh, but it's, <laughs> it's a stampede of all of these animals from around the world, from around the wild that, uh, yeah, stampede against your enemies who are either running away from you because they're frightened from the first half of the spell or running towards you and take the full brunt of the damage. Um, so I loved that idea because it's usable anywhere you can have a stampede of sharks and octopuses and squid and crabs or you can have a stampede of you know rhinos and elephants and leopards and everything I, it, again it's one of those really visual ones which every druid is going to love yeah you 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 can really take advantage of having all of the nature come at you because it it, it, it the, the name itself, Stampede, it almost like, uh, for an 8th level spell, this is almost like a call to nature. It's like, it's like if you were, like, magically grabbing everything in the area and then putting it next to a funnel and just shoving it through and everything is like, alright, we're going this way! You want us to go this way? I like going one, this way! One word. Jumanji. Jumanji. That's what I that's what I envisaged when I when I wrote it. It was that that herd of just random ass animals like running down the middle of a tavern or the middle of a castle. Uh and you're like, okay, well, I we're in the mountains, so yeah, there's goats, there's mountain lions, there's eagles, but all in one place with a single purpose is pretty cool. Yes. Oh, I like that one. Uh there was two more that I was wanting to be interested in. One was Shatterblade. Shatterblade was a really cool one. Uh, does force damage as well as you can choose one non-magical weapon. 
essentially shatter. And I thought this one would be a very cool one for going against uh, players and uh, using against them at low levels. Because it's not going to be often that you're fighting a creature and then your blade shatters. Like, very, very few creatures in the DMG actually do any kind of, like, weapon damage. And very few times do DMs actually target weapons. But I have a spell Exactly, like exactly, yeah. I, I love Shadowblade because, again, it's one of those... It's, it's a hybrid spell of both damage and utility. Um, and I haven't gone overly on either of them. I didn't want, you know, any magical items to be affected because we love them too much and we don't want them to randomly die. Um, but at the same time, <laughs> at, at the same time, I wanted a spell which melee, melee range casters who, who really want to get into the thick of it, you know, if, if, if they're just running in there and, and they, they want to try and disarm someone, it, it I, again, disarming and, you know, vulnerabilities, all of those sorts of peripheral effects other than just damage is is a really underutilized category of of the central content and so this is another way to tap into that you 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 have the potential to just completely disarm someone and then follow up with something really cool i agree and just like that i like that a lot of these spells have like there's almost like two part where it's like it, it's it's a mix. It's not just this is just a push spell or this is just a damage spell. Like there, there's of course those, but there's a lot of these interesting spells that hit on a lot of two different things. That's the great thing. We've only talked about like a little bit less than half a dozen spells, and we're just like touching with the surface. Because how many total spells are there? Where's a hundred and at the moment I'm on a hundred and twenty two. Yeah. Because we've had obviously it was over a yeah. hundred spells. Um mm -hmm. so it was always over. Since then we've unlocked artificer spells and blood hunter spells to, you know, support the extra content. Mm -hmm. Um which, you know, I I I always tried to bear them in mind when I was writing my original hundred. Um and and they are in there, but now I've really had the opportunity because we've hit those stretch goals, I've had the opportunity to think of them at the forefront. So there's a system in the book called the Caster Key, um, and the Caster Key is uh, an advisory guide as to which spells suit which type of caster. Um, you know, just in case, like you're saying, if if there's someone out there that struggles to imagine from a blank page, you can see, oh, this one is for a druid, a wizard, and a warlock, or this one is for a sorcerer, a bard, and a cleric. So now that I've got the Artificer and the Bloodhunter on the caster keys, I've, I've been able to create some new spells which uh, preference them. Uh, so that's really fun. How do you find working with those other, like, non, just, um, not the, the unoriginal three casters? Because we know, we all know so much, like, sorcerers are just naturally uh, wizards, study, warlocks are gifted, but blood hunters and artificers are a much more muddied topic we're not as, as sure how they go about it so how is creating spells for those classes a uh, completely new experience for me but i really enjoyed it i think um 
art artificer is is fast becoming my uh you know my, my new favorite thing i i might uh might have to get that into a game but but yeah it, again it was really interesting because going back to what we were talking about earlier of of having these themes you know wall of bones of uh you know extensions of the existing content i managed to take that methodology and apply it to artificers and, and blood hunters so you know they've, they've got their own you know i mean a, a certain book beat me to uh to um summon construct but uh <laughs> <laughs> but i had plenty of other ideas left oh sounds awesome um there was another cool spell that i thought would be just good for uh going out in the wild and there there's a few of these but i i like your interpretation on it because it uh felt more like how it should be so you know we have i forget so and so's tiny hut we have um different little like houses we have a rope trick to hide in and I, i've never really found these made 100 percent sense for adventuring groups it's like a you don't want to want a tower rope trip trick makes sense but it feels too it feels too overpowered for what a, a regular adventuring party would have and you had um, Nalo's Hanging Homes, which were like these little, um, essentially, kind of like uh, plants in themselves that you could hide in. And they um, would hide themselves naturally amongst foliage. And I was like, this feels like something an adventurer might come upon a little bit earlier than a rope. Yeah, they're like, um, they're like. I'm so glad you picked up on this one actually, because Nalo is my character, and that's a that's a name drop uh, for from. So all all of the spells <laughs> that have names are actually kind of Easter eggs for my really close friends and DM and D and D players. So I, and I can't believe out of all of them you picked my character, but yeah. So Nalo is my character, and uh, the hanging homes idea is another utility spell which comes uh, from yeah the druids just being in tune and and needing a place to sleep that isn't just you know a, a camp roll uh, on the on the ground it's kind of like a cross between a pea pod a hammock and and like a like a small room um you know it gives you water it gives you a bed gives you warmth uh, and it gives you the temporary ability to speak with plants so you're not lonely i had a question about that um so it kind of almost gives you a a, a role play encounter with your home in a sense yeah and you've got to think as well what's that attached to you know because this is a this is a natural organic living thing and it's it's gonna be not you know sucking the life out of but it's going to be using the life force of a tree or you know a stack of vines or um you know moss on the yeah. side of a cliff <laughs> yeah <laughs> hopefully not um and and those those plants may have been witnesses to the crimes that you're trying to solve or you know to the to the bandits that you're trying to track down um so it's it's a really interesting one that is actually a lot more in depth than people realize it people you might just read it and think oh that's cool that's like druid hammocks in a tree but there there's there's more going on and you can use it in many more ways than than just kind of portable homes Maybe I just have players that traumatize me and try too hard. 
But the first thing I thought about when I seen the Speak with Animals is I just imagined my, like, group picking dandelions <clears throat> from around a crime scene and just going in there and be like, so what do you know? Tell me what you know. It's like, guys, guys. So it has a I never thought about taking plants into it. So, yeah. that, again, that's, an, that's a great, uh, great application. That's the first thing. I just thought of them just taking animal plants in and just being like, we won't, we won't repot you. You're staying here until you say no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a great. Yeah, that, see, that's that's better than that's better than my one. Can we just cut back and I'll say what you said? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Um, was there any other uh, spells that you liked, disliked, or wanted to talk about? Um, because. I think, I think one of the uh, unique things that I've managed to capture a few times, um, well, that sounded so modest. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but again, you, you talked about how, you know, we, we've managed to focus in on vulnerabilities and we've managed to, you know, capture some of the, the you know, madness isn't used much in spells and, and there are other utilities that aren't used much in spells. Well, one of the things that I found that, wasn't covered much as well was vehicles so there aren't many well i mean i i other than floating disc which i, I don't even know is a vehicle i couldn't think of any like really cool vehicle spells so i've got two uh standout ones in in the book uh one is uh Euroboz's impromptu war wagon uh, which is basically you touch an old cart, run down farmer's cart or whatever, and in a puff of smoke and sparks and you know all, all the other good stuff, it turns into this fully shielded, spiky, ready to go war wagon that you can just roll through people with and and travel with, which was one fun one. Um, and the other one is for all of the warlocks and for the bad guys, uh, which was called Ghost Galley. Um, and ghost galley is a form of uh, naval transport, which is, is I mean, it's, it's a physical ghost ship, um, but at the same time, it's a concentration spell. So your warlock either needs a lot of caffeine <laughs> or you need to uh, work out a way where you can keep that boat afloat for, for as long as you need, uh, because if, if concentration is broken, you would just all end up in the ocean. Is it an action? The cast, I, if you remember. Okay, so you just need every four hours. All right, everyone, and jump. Recast. <laughs> <laughs> um, short distances. Short distances only. Oh uh, yeah, no, I thought about that concentration one, and I was like, oh gosh, I would definitely have a group that would go out and just forget. So you traveled three hours outside of uh, outside of dock. You only have one hour left. What are you guys gonna do? Oh, we should head back. It's like you've traveled three hours out. You have one, huh? What? <laughs> yes. And that's when they get stampeded by sharks and octopuses and and all the other likes. One on top of the other. See? <laughs> um, there was one that I just found um silly and funny, but I wanted to bring up was mimicry. So you essentially, yeah. it's, it's trap you leave, you cast on an inanimate object, and uh, the next person that comes by, 
uh, Ladman has to make a wisdom save, or essentially they're frightened as they presume it's a mimic trying to kill them. And I love that because what I'm going to do with that as a DM is I'm going to have someone make the wisdom save before they open the trap. And if they fail, I'm just going to tell them to roll initiative and treat it like combat until somebody else uh, comes over and is like, it's chest, just the chest. Just have them start feeding yeah. into their loot. Ah! That was just a, I think I think that one came about on a, an ex- especially late night where I was just having fun. Um, <laughs> but it actually turned out really well and really fun. It's like you're saying, it can be a booby trap. It can be a fake trap. It can be a practical joke. It can be so many different things. Um, but yeah, it gives you the opportunity to turn anything into, you know, the illusion of a mimic. Uh, all right. Before we wrap up, um, if we have a dungeon master or a viewer at home that wants to finish the show, they feel inspired from what they've heard tonight, and they want to make their own spell. Okay, they're just gonna make one spell. What is step like one, two, and three? We'll start with that. Wow. Okay. Um, step one is to think of an experience, an action, or an encounter that you want this spell to achieve. Think of a way it can be used. Think of how you're going to apply it. Step two is work out who it's for. Who's, who's the person behind the eyes of the vision that you just had of this spell being used? And step three is to work out the logistics, you know, to work out the small mm-hmm. details, you know, is this a damage spell? Is this a movement spell? Is it a buff? Is it a debuff? How do I want this person who I've now identified to interact with this thing that I've now seen in my mind's eye and, and said, yeah, this is going to happen. This could be cool. What if they caught on fire? What if they fell down a massive hole? What if they suddenly mm. grew bark instead of skin, like all the cool stuff that randomly happens. I'd say yes. I'd say that's the be- that's the best way to do it is to is to to so. to go through it as a process. Yeah. Like step one, I want my spell to make it so that I wear hats. Uh, step two, I want it to be since I want hats on myself, I also want hats on friends. So. It, I want, I want hats on people within thirty feet of me. So, <laughs> okay. So yeah, you kind of just you start with what you want, and you just slowly bring in rules to get what you want. Okay. I'm gonna make you a spell now called Zachary's Fascinating Swarm. Yes. And the, the pun would be the fascinator thing. And everyone just <laughs> randomly gets hats. Ah, <laughs> uh, oh, yes, I'll have to write. Ah, uh, oh, there's so many, so many, so many <laughs> Zachariah spells now. Creative oh, juices flowing. I know, my brain is a dangerous place. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, Dave, I must thank you for coming on. And I also must thank you for writing spells i'm sure they're going to be a huge help to dungeon masters players and uh, 
many tables around uh, the world. <laughs> no, no, it's no. such a cool feeling. It, right? it really is. You know, the the feedback from my first one was was so great. Um, and people were telling me how they were using it and how it was improving their games and and that's all I want to do. You know, I, I want to make more memories with friends. Even if they're not my friends, it doesn't mean I can't help make those memories. You know, I, I just want people to have fun with it. That's what it's all about. Um, and yeah, I hope people do. Oh, I appreciate it. And I'm sure they will. I know I will after this. So uh, everyone watching, make sure you go check out Dave Paints. He's a wonderful creator, uh, the writer of Magnum's Magnum's Tome of Unshackled Spells, which you can find. It, it's a bit of a mouthful. <laughs> I just, I always want to say Magnus, and I don't know why. I don't know why my head just loves that word. Um, I think it was originally Magnus, actually, um, but I, I changed it to, to Magnums because uh, I was trying to do a play on Magnum Opus, which is obviously all the most powerful. Um, so that was originally his name, but I felt it was too tongue in cheek. <laughs> no, I like it. I liked it a lot. So make sure to go check out his Kickstarter and all of his social media. Uh, we will be back next Friday. Uh, we'll be doing some more Dungeon Master discussions. And right after this, we will have Community Night with Jake. Uh, Dave, did you have anything else you wanted to shout out or let the audience know about? Uh, no, just to um, yeah, give us a give us a follow on on Instagram, which is Dave Paints. The the Kickstarter is Magnum's Tome of Unshackled Spells, as Zach said. Um, so give that a follow as well. We're racing through our stretch goals, so it's yeah, become part of it and uh, join the party. When does that close? March second. Yeah, yeah. So we've still got a long time to go. Um, you know, and we're already three hundred percent. So it's not it's not slowing down, which is so it's a great time to jump on board because you're guaranteed all those stretch goals. Yeah, let's go get some more spells out of this. Uh, <laughs> but uh, thank you, Dave, for joining us. Uh, everyone watching. No problem. Thanks for having me. Make sure you like, comment, and subscribe. But until then, we will see you next Friday. Goodbye.